What's up, everyone, and welcome into the Buffalo Sports Collective. It is Wednesday, August 30th, 2023. As always, I am PK alongside my co-host, Phil. Phil, how's it going? It's been about a week. Been a week since we talked. It's been good. Uh, I mean, we got through preseason, so congratulations to both of us. We got through our drafts, I think, pretty unscathed through preseason, I believe. I don't think either of our teams took uh, took any big injury hits. I don't think most of the NFL took too many big injury yeah, I was hits. Say that, so yep. I think, yeah, for the most part, I think everybody kind of escaped preseason this year without anything crazy going on. A few disappointing injuries for certain players. Tim Patrick, my goodness, man, you you poor NFL player with your bajillion injuries. But uh, other than that, I do have a fun little question for you. I'm ready. All right, so it's summertime still, sadly. I do. I did switch to a hoodie for today's episode for the first time. Oh yeah, in a long time. I'm just I'm forcing it a little bit. It's definitely early and it's still warm outside, but I really I was feeling the hoodie today. But in summer, if I told you it sounds hot outside, what does that mean to you? It means if I go outside for more than five minutes, I'm gonna sweat. Okay, it's not what I was looking for. You're looking for okay, temperature okay, wise? No, no, no. One, one more time. So I'm saying, okay. <laughs> you're inside, right? You're inside. Yes. And it sounds hot outside. So I'm not saying a specific temperature, like the, the atmosphere outside. There's a certain sound that I equivalate. That's not the right word. Um, I don't know the word that I'm trying to throw out there, but something that sounds like, like summer when it's outside and it's a sound that you kind of relate to it being really warm. Like, if I hear this sound, I'm like, wow, it must be a really hot day out. Um, children's laughter? Oh, wow, that's... <laughs> I have no idea. I, I don't know where you're going with this one. <laughs> uh, yeah, cicadas is what I was going with. Whenever I hear... Oh, I have no idea. Cicadas going... It's, uh... Do you know what they, they are? What they I do, like? but I, I've never seen one in my entire life. Oh. Like, I know what they look like, but I've never experienced their presence. You know what they sound like, right? I feel like whenever it's hot out, like, I mean, I assume you have them where, I mean, we're not that far off. We're not like, geo, geo, oh my gosh, geologically super far away from each other. I, I Geographically? Assume you have, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. They're both. I'm looking at my window right now. I don't, I don't see a single one anywhere. I mean, I don't see them either, but I, you can hear them. They sound like giant crickets and they always make a lot of noise during the day. When it's really hot outside, like they're they're a summertime bug, and I don't think I've ever really seen them either. But you hear them, and whenever I hear them from inside, I'm like, oh man, it must be super hot out. The skaters are going crazy. And that was that was all I I I have a whole like I wish I could take the camera and show everybody, but like I have a whole woods behind my house. Do you never hear think... cicadas? Not during the daytime. I don't. I hear birds. Like a Saturday afternoon, and it's hot out. You got nothing. Nope. Nothing. Wow. I hear them and I hear like crickets and stuff at night. Do cicadas make noise at night? I don't think so. Or if they, no, nope. I, don't, I don't think, I don't, then I think no. crickets really come out at night. I don't think cicadas really do. They're, they're noises. I heard foxes the other day. Weird. Foxes are fun. I mean, they're cute. They were fighting. Sounds like a good time. <laughs> it could be. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm, uh, now I'm going to be one, looking on my window this all one day. Right now, right over your head. Again, I don't, I don't physically see them. Like, I don't, I don't, see the cicada but you definitely you know what they sound like and you hear them i don't know i'll need i'll need some listeners to back me up on this 
Anyone you might be solo here, Phil. I've, I've and, never heard uh, this. It's hot. It's hot out. I don't know. I'll need I'll need some listener help on this one, I guess. <laughs> I, I you could have given me a million guesses by saying it sounds hot outside. What do I mean? It would have I would have never came up with cicadas like in a million years. Thanks. Would never. You got children's <laughs> laughter. <laughs> I, I do. There's too many kids around my neighborhood. So if you are with Phil. Or you're with me. Let us know on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Buffalo Sports Collective. And on Twitter or X at Buffalo Sports Co. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out our website at buffalosportscollective.com. And look for the time breakdowns in the description of the show. Because now I'm very, very interested to see if there's any other people like Phil out there in the world. Or if he stands alone. I'm assuming he stands alone because I've never heard this in my entire life. And I've been living and experiencing a lot of things in my life. And I, I, Nope. Never done it. So, Phil, let's let's dive into the Bills here. Um, like you said before the show kicked off, not just the Bills, but I think across the NFL, everybody pretty much dodged any major, major injuries. I know a lot of people are pulling hamstrings, groin problems, twisted ankles and stuff like that. Some guys that were on the PUP before the season started, they're staying on the PUP as the season begins. But there wasn't any of those catastrophic major injuries to any key players and I think that's the main part of trying to get through preseason is just dodging all those injuries and I don't know if I was I don't know if you were like me but last middle of last week after the show came out and everything they were talking about oh yeah the starters are going to play another time and I went well Phil was right and I'm not happy because (laughs) I am one of the people that goes don't play any of your starters in preseason it doesn't matter the games don't count when Josh Allen had his career year, that year where he came in second behind Aaron Rodgers. Uh, There were no preseason games. So you can't tell me that preseason is needed for a guy to have a career year because Josh Allen did it without any preseason games. So I am still in the camp of no preseason matters for any of your key players. Keep them on the sidelines. It doesn't really matter. But the offense did play again, and they got off to a good start. They went down. They scored their their initial points one and done got them off the field but phil i guess what were your thoughts on saturday's game versus chicago in chicago yeah they definitely looked better um i think i mean to me i I don't know i I definitely understand what you're saying like if for example i mean if josh allen randomly got hurt in that first and only series you're saying exactly what you just said why the heck you playing the starters is ridiculous they shouldn't play in preseason at the other side of things, I mean, I do think they needed some kind of response and rebound from that other game. And I agree with that. I think the the weird thing about that year you're talking, we can move on from it very quickly. But the entire NFL was missing the preseason. Obviously, not just Josh Allen. Like, like you mentioned, there were no preseason games. And the whole NFL that year was weird. And the whole, like, it took a long time, what, like four or five games about preseason for the entire NFL to really get moving and get going. Like those first few games were gross and sloppy by everybody. Like the defenses dominated offenses looked atrocious because again, there was no preseason. And I do agree. I don't think that you want your starters like Josh Allen and all these big names. Like you don't want to risk any injury because like you said, the game doesn't matter. And you just simply risking that injury is just not worth it at the same time they played so bad against the Steelers and I think you just wanted exactly what they got one series hopefully you don't get any injuries get out of there look decent and just feel better going into the season so I, I like what they did I like the one and done I think they looked much better than they did obviously in that Steelers game but overall I mean I don't know the preseason was just it is what it is I mean it's so hard to take 
positives and negatives because of everything we just said. The preseason is mainly about backups fighting for spots, not really your starters trying to look good. That first game against the Jets is going to be intense. It's going to be it's going to be tough and it's going to be a Monday night battle. And I mean, coming out of preseason, I think you have more question marks than you would have liked. I think the team didn't really look quite as solid as you would have hoped for. And I know they're going through a lot of transitions with McDermott, you know, coaching the team and the defense this year and how that's going to look. And, you know, Dorsey in his second year as offense coordinator, Allen just trying to work through everything. And, you know, what can this offense look like again? Can it be a little bit different? James Cook trying to be a little bit more injected into the offense this year as your main starter and just overall what this offense can look like a little bit different. And the defense is what it is. I don't really take too, too much from the defense from preseason. And sadly, we didn't really get what we were hoping for from preseason, which was that middle linebacker battle. You just, no one really stepped up into it. CB2 battle, no one really stepped up into it. So I think for the defense, the main position battles we were looking for for all of preseason, nobody really grabbed and ran with, which is depressing, or at least the players we were kind of hoping might take the horns and just run. They did not. And then for the offense, they just looked a little bit more out of sync than I think you would like. But obviously, once game time hits and the season starts, everything's a little bit different. So not panicking by any means. I think they're going to be perfectly okay. But that first game is going to be interesting. And there's going to be a lot to look for in that game against the Jets. So we are recording Monday around 730 Roster cutdown day is Tuesday at 4 p.m., so everybody out there is going to know what the roster looks like before we currently do where we're sitting right now. So we're going to try not to talk about like those roster bubbled players because we could go in a five or ten minute tangent and find out, hey, they didn't even make the team. But I think I think everything you said hits the nail on the head where nobody really stepped up in that middle linebacker position, grabbed it and ran with it. I think not having Terrell Bernard in that competition, the entire preseason didn't help whatsoever. Cause I thought he was neck and neck with Dodson and I don't think Dodson deserves to have any first team snaps in that first week, but we'll see what happens. I, I think AJ Klein is a better player than him right now, but who knows what happens there. But I think the things that you can take from preseason is less about what they do on the field. It's when they're on the field. And that's what I took out of this game. And what I've taken out of all preseason is kind of figuring out like, the the rotation of these type of players. When does that wide receiver go in versus this one? Is this one still playing in the fourth quarter of the third preseason game? Is this one sitting on the bench? Does this one get pulled with the starters? What, what happens with this one? Harris getting goal, time, goal line work in his first time back. That's, I don't know if... That's one of those things where I'm not sure because he didn't play in games ones and one and two. Is this them just getting him work or is that going to be his job moving forward? Because they kept James Cook in there in games one and two, but Harris got it in game three. I don't know if that's just him getting back uh, back into the groove of everything because he did look fresh. I did like his runs. I think he solidified his spot on the rotation. I thought it was maybe a little bit up in the air because he missed so many games, but game three he looked really good. Benford, though, he got the first two drives over Jackson, and then Jackson came in in the second one when some of the starters were already out of the game. So that's, I'm not saying that Dane Jackson has lost the grasp of CB2, but 
Benford has been right neck and neck with him the whole time. Elam has definitely fallen back, which is disappointing from my perspective because I really wanted him to start CB2. But Benford getting this first snaps, it'll be very interesting to see who gets that first snap in the first Monday night game versus the Jets. The other thing, I I thought Boogie and Settle played very well. I think their strong games continued. I think they're both going to be on the the team. Again, not trying not to talk about that, but I thought they – had very good camps. They were both bubble guys for me, but I think they had very, very good camps. Uh, the The biggest thing that I think is a lot of people's talking points, and I guess we could talk about this for a minute, is the quarterback two position. I've never seen a team and a fan base talk about quarterback two as much as the Buffalo Bills have. And again, I don't know other fan bases and all the talking points there, but Bills were in on Trey Lance, who did end up going to Dallas. I don't know how Kyle Allen can feel safe in that quarterback two role, even though he played better than Matt Barkley in game two. And Barkley didn't play in game three because he's hurt. But and Kyle Allen played the rest of the snaps after the first series with Josh Allen. But I, I, I think that's the biggest talking one of the biggest talking points for the Buffalo Bills right now is who's behind Josh Allen. But I still stand behind if Josh Allen is down more than six games, your season's toast anyways. You're just looking for a guy that can get you through a half, a quarter, a few games here and there. And I guess my question, do you feel confident Kyle Allen can do that? No, and I really wanted Lance uh, quite badly even before he was available. I think even like last year when we talked about him not really yep. playing all that much, I was hoping the Bills would try to trade for him once we kind of fell, found that he fell out of favor in San Fran. I was like, oh, he seems like the kind of guy the Bills would want to build behind Josh Allen. He's very similar skill set to Josh Allen, so if he needed to take over for a few games, I mean, Lance obviously hasn't shown it, but he has the draft pedigree to possibly learn from someone like Josh Allen and fall into that role where you just need him for a couple games. So I was really hoping they were going to get Lance and hearing that they were in on Lance is almost even more depressing than now that they didn't get him. I wish I just, you know, they, they said the bills weren't part of that at all. They're like, all right, well, they weren't going for him. But yeah, the fact that they went for him, almost got him and didn't is a little bit more depressing. But I don't know, like exactly like what you said is how I feel about Kyle Allen. I think if the bills lose Josh Allen. There's no one who's ever going to be able to take over for Josh Allen. I mean, teams don't have two, you know, top 10 NFL quarterbacks on their team, one starting and one as a backup. So it just, it doesn't happen. I mean, some teams might feel a little safer with their backup, but any of these top QBs across the entire NFL, if they go down your team and your season is in trouble. I mean, if the Bills lose Josh Allen for, like you said, a number of games, I don't care who you're putting in as a backup. It's not going to be the same. The team's not going to be the same. And you're just looking at arguably a lost season from there on out. I mean, yes, I see what you're saying that like if if it's known that Josh might be down for one or two games, you're just trying to have a backup step in to, you know, right the ship for a little bit and try to, you know, maybe steal one of two games or two of three or even one of three. If he's out for three games, you just want to win one of those while your starter's out before he can come back. I definitely think the Bills need a little bit safer of a backup for that I don't think Kyle Allen really showed all that much but at the same time I don't know I was gonna say at the same time he's working with a lot of you know different players and younger players and players that are on that roster bubble so he's not working with the starters so it's hard to show exactly what you have but at the same time you're running against second and third string defenses so either way you should be showing that you're pretty good and like you said his mistakes that he was making seem to be more on him than the wide receivers I don't know I don't feel 
super safe with him as a backup, but at the same time, like you mentioned, if Allen goes down for a number of games, there's obviously going to be no replacing him. So would I count the Bills out of looking for a better backup somehow, some way? No, but I I don't think it's going to be on the top of their list to really concern themselves with. But if something, you know, came across or came out that they were in the market and something came up, I could see them trying to upgrade at that position. Yeah, I'm not too worried. I mean, I, I can't. I, I there's been multiple people that put out list of the other backup quarterbacks around the AFC right now, and good. it's like it's not good. There's right. there's not 32 NFL starting quarterbacks in the NFL right now, and to <laughs> right. get a backup, it's kind of tough. So I'm I'm good with Kyle Allen. I I do agree with you. I don't think they're going to be like they were the last two years where they had Case Keenum last year and then the year before they had uh, Mitch Trubisky. I don't think Kyle Allen should feel safe just on the Lance news, but if it came down to it and Kyle Allen had to play a few games, I'm, I'm fine with it because, you know, at the end of it, you're really just looking towards the playoffs. And if he can get you, if, if he can steal you one of the three games with Josh Allen down three games, knock on wood, nothing happens. But you know, I, I, I'm, I'm fine with it. There's nothing else really out there unless they make some kind of trade. I mean, for maybe Case Keenum, because <laughs> what is Houston going to do with three quarterbacks there now that uh, um, CJ Stroud is officially starting? Davis Mills probably the backup. Who knows? But my other question for you now is one now that all three preseason games have concluded. And we have seen the play. We've seen some people take steps backwards. We've seen some guys step up and fill some roles. What's your biggest concern going into the regular season based on what you did see in the preseason? I think the team as a whole looked shakier than I would have expected slash hoped for a team that had not too much. I mean, yes, on the defensive side, but the offensive side, you didn't have a ton of turnover. And the offense was a little bit concerning in their preseason. And without having too much turnover, you'd expect them to go up against the Steelers, go into one or two series, dominate real quick, get out and be done for the preseason. And they look so bad that you had to put them into another game just to make sure they were okay and got on a little bit of a rhythm before you take a couple weeks off before the season starts. So that was concerning a little bit. I understand they're going through, you know, some basic turnover a little bit, but for the most part, I mean, the team's a lot of it was the same, and to have misfires on offense when your team is supposed to be Super Bowl contending, I think was a little bit scary. And then on defense, the big thing was kind of what we already talked about, just CB2 battle didn't really turn into what we expected. I am pretty impressed with Benford stepping up into that role as much as he has, and Elam is looking scarier and scarier again. Only year two, so I'm not trying to panic on him, but not being for him not to be able to grasp that role from Dane Jackson or Benford and Benford stepping up arguably the best of the three and actually competing with Dane Jackson, I think is worrisome a little bit for Elam. And then the middle linebacker position is uh, terrifying to me that again, we've talked about it a few times that this team is in a Super Bowl win now mode and they really didn't do much to address the losing of Tremaine Edmonds. And you've seen what they've been able to roll out and, like you mentioned, I don't think it's going to bother them too, too much because their defensive line is a little bit better and what they can do with their safeties and their corners and the different packages they can throw out. They might just simply, like you mentioned earlier, not use that middle linebacker the same way that they had in the past. But either way, it's just 
a little concerning that they weren't able to go out and get some kind of veteran upgrade there or just someone to step in if needed. Like you said, AJ Klein is likely the winner of that role of that veteran who's been on the team, who knows the system and can step into that role while the rookies try to battle it out and figure it out and see what's kind of going on. And Dotson's a little bit of that role, but I do like Klein better for it. But yeah, I don't know. That that one worries me a little bit. But like you said, uh, I think it was last episode that they might simply shift away a little bit from using that position in general this year. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll tie in the next question here because that kind of is my biggest concern from the preseason. And I mean, there were practices and, and um, uh, training camp and all that kind of stuff that we didn't see firsthand. We got reports of it and, you know, videos and stuff like that, but we weren't there firsthand. So my fear and my biggest concern kind of ties in with this. And we have a fan question from our super fan and winner of the scariest mascot BSC draft, John. He's John down in Texas. His question is similar to last season. Davis is expected to have the wide receiver role, the number two wide receiver role with this team. Now, his question is what happens if he can't fill that role once again or is injured and limited? And this is my biggest concern is if Davis truly is just a number three on an NFL team, which I still think he is, and that there's not a true number two behind Stefan Diggs right now, but I mean, it is the money year and players typically stand stand up and play even better in their contract year. So I'm expecting him to have a nice season, but I still don't think he's a wide receiver too in the NFL. That's just me. I don't think they have personally another way. I love what they did in the wide receiver room this offseason. And I love what they did with drafting Dalton Kincaid, but I still don't think there's a true number two behind Stefan Diggs on this team. Sherfield's a great number three. I think possibly even a number four. Davis is a great number three. Hardy is a player that I'm very excited to see, but I think he's more of a gadget guy. Shakir has not been able to step up. Beyond that, you don't really have anything else in the wide receiver room right now. I know there's been a lot of hype on Andy Isabella, but he was playing in the fourth quarter in game three. So what's that tell you about that? It's just... Justin Shorter has had flashes, but he's a fifth-round rookie. We saw what happened when people were getting hot and bothered with Shakir last year being a fifth-round rookie. Dawson Knox is not a demand targets guy. It's just down to Dalton Kincaid. And once again, I think I'm on a, a record here of just repeating myself after one after another after another. Tight ends, rookie tight ends do not splash in the NFL in year one. Yes, there can be exceptions. Kyle Pitts did pretty good in his rookie year, broke some records. I just don't think Dalton Kincaid is going to be that quote unquote second target that you need behind Steph Diggs. And that's my biggest worry is Josh Allen once again, looking around to see who can throw to and it's just Diggs out there. And that's my biggest concern moving into the season. And that ties in with John is what do you do if Davis is not ready? I know you have a better solution based on these notes in front of me, but I'm just, that, that's my biggest concern is what happens if somebody doesn't step up as that number two target for Josh Allen? Yeah, I think it, it really comes down to, I mean, if you look at the AFC and the top contenders, I mean, you look at uh, Cincinnati, and they had two just absolutely dominant wide receivers and Higgins and Chase. That is a 
absolutely dominant, you know, dynamite one-two punch. The Chargers have Allen and Williams, if Williams can ever stay healthy, and they just drafted Quinn Johnson, who looks like he's going to be a good rookie wide receiver, so they have some wide receiver one-two roles. But then you look at a team like Kansas City, who's done it year and year after year after year. I understand they have Kelsey, but... You you know you can equate Kelsey and Diggs as the same typical or same type of player where they're uncoverable when they're open they're open they're going to get you know like you mentioned earlier that Kincaid wasn't they're going to be your target hogs your true one A wide receiver he is the the alpha on the team as is Kelsey in Kansas City so I think it would come down to and the Bills have a little bit different setup than Kansas City obviously and. Mahomes and what Andy Reid are able to do is different than what the Bills are going to be able to do with Allen and the rest of this team. But it's just the the equivalent that you've seen Kansas City do it without wide receivers last year, having really no one on their team to really step up. And you're kind of dealing with a similar thrown together wide receiver core, if you want to put it like that, if you really don't think Davis is going to be able to step up into that wide receiver two role. And I think how the Bills will be able to handle it is different than what Kansas City does. But I think you would switch to more of a 12 personnel. You got that two tight end set that they've been talking about a little bit with Kincaid and Knox. I think you'd have to shift a little bit more heavy into that style package. And I think you'd lean more on dink and dunk. I mean, all the wide receivers you just mentioned, a lot of them have that short range ability to make, you know, the the yards after catch that the Bills have been missing for a really long time, that they have that speed and that short range area to really work in that dink and dunk kind of philosophy and kind of wide receiver role that they'd have to kind of switch to. So I think to me, especially with James Cook as well, you can't really be a ground and pound team because you don't have that kind of running back in your backfield. So you can't really do what New England does, where they just run the ball the entire time and then throw occasionally when they need to. Same with Tennessee. With Henry, you just don't have that kind of running back to be able to do that. So you can't switch to a run-heavy offense. It's just not what's going to work. I know Allen runs a lot, and the team led the NFL in rushing or did really well in rushing last year. I mean, I get that, but a lot of that has to do with Allen, and you're not going to try to run him. You shouldn't try to run him every single game a ton of times because, as we just mentioned with your backup QB, you need him pretty badly. So I think to me, if Davis really isn't a true wide receiver too, I think you would just have to drop into more 12 personnel, more dink and dunk, more James Cook out of the backfield for short screens, more kind of, I don't want to say tricky plays, but just plays where you throw it five yards really quick and hope that player can get, you know, six, seven, eight yards after the catch, whether it's Kincaid, Knox, any of these other slot type wide receivers like you just mentioned, or even Gabe Davis. And then, you know, you play short enough for long enough. And then you have someone like Gabe Davis, even if you want to throw him in that wide receiver three role where all of a sudden you take that 90-yard bomb and he's, you know, big enough, strong enough to make those catches as we've seen in the past. So I think to me it would obviously be leaning a lot on digs, but I think you'd have to shift just to less two and three wide receiver sets and pack the box a little bit more, go back into 12 personnel with your two tight ends, James Cook out of the backfield doing whatever he can do, either run or catch. And then I think you just kind of have to shift away from having more wide receivers like Davis on the field and try to open it up in other ways. You just have to simply get a lot more creative, which is scary from what we saw out of Ken Dorsey last year, which was no creativity and kind of drove this offense into the ground somehow. So 
It worries me 100%. Like you mentioned that if Davis does not step up into that wide receiver two role and they can just focus in on digs and double cover him and no one else is really getting open, like you mentioned, that Allen doesn't have that other Cole Beasley safety blanket to throw to for a thousand yards to get those, you know, short yardage third down plays and move the chain if he really doesn't have that because Gabe Davis can't turn into it or someone else on the TV on the team can't step up into that slot role. And I I don't think you can expect Dorsey to get that much more creative in one off season. I expect something different this year, but for him to be able to flip the entire playbook because Davis isn't turning out, I think is, you know, a lot to expect. And like you mentioned, it is worrisome for sure. Yeah. And you kind of see it in the preseason so far, I think they're running like 30% 12 personnel right now. So they are trying to get more towards that. It's just, the, the biggest thing that I have between Chiefs and the Bills, and I, I understand your idea behind Kansas City doesn't have those wide receiver weapons, and I, I understand the, the Kelsey Diggs kind of you know, connection there. The biggest difference is they have Andy Reid and Mahomes. For sure. And we have Josh For Allen sure. and Ken Dorsey. And yeah. as long as they have Andy Reid making the calls, it doesn't matter what wide receivers they have there because they can make magic happen. And yeah. that's my biggest concern is we have Ken Dorsey. And as, if, unless he pulls some creativeness out of his butt this year, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm very concerned if Davis really doesn't hit. But like we said, the we were recording Monday at it is now 7.53. The roster cutdown day is Tuesday at 4 p.m. So everybody out there will know that before we do. And we will talk about that and the Jets game, the home well, not the home opener, but game one, week one versus the Jets Monday Night Football on the next Wednesday show. So, Phil, moving forward, this is our final tip advice segment for Fantasy Blitz before we start getting into our you know, help with setting rosters and setting lineups for week one. So, the last one here kind of dives into... And I know that this past weekend and this coming weekend are the two biggest draft weekends for fantasy football. We drafted two weekends ago now. Thanks, Pat, who is currently halfway across the world. And he's in the future, so he's going to listen to this before we even put it out. But my, my question here, and I guess our fantasy blitz, is best tip for waiver wire, for free agency, for free agent budget, however you use it, what is your best tip for getting the player you want and how to achieve greatness in that type of area for fantasy football. Yeah, for me, because I am a, I I do this way, way too often. I think it happens a lot in fantasy football in general, but I hold on to players when I shouldn't and I let go of players when I shouldn't as well. But essentially don't get too emotional with your picks, whether it be, a guy you drafted and you're really high on preseason and, you know, it's week six, seven, eight, and you're holding on to him, hoping that he breaks out and he just never does. And you're holding on to this guy for absolutely no reason when you could have in week, you know, two or three picked up that rookie wide receiver who took over some role and hit and is now wide receiver, you know, 22 on the season. And you're sitting with this one guy who you were just hoping and holding on to for pretty much no reason. I do it all the time. The back end of my roster guys that I mean, I think the big thing is like looking at guys who you think will actually make it into your lineup. Like if you have I I don't know what league it is. I think it's our main home league. I have six running backs and seven wide receivers in a three wide receiver league. So, yes, you want some depth. But 
most likely that wide receiver seven and that running back six, they're never going to crack my lineup. So emotionally, you have to kind of tell yourself that those players are expendable. And if you have someone out there on waiver wires that you really, really like, go and get them. And the other thing is for rookies, make sure you don't drop them too quickly. And I remember... I forgot which show I was listening to. I'm assuming it was Fantasy Footballers, but they were mentioning that way back in the day in his rookie year, Jefferson was on waivers in weeks two and three because people just didn't trust the rookie wide receiver yet, and he was able to be picked up off of waivers past draft point, and all of a sudden you're looking at, you know, arguably the number one overall fantasy football pick. So, on one end, don't get too emotional about the players at the back end of your roster. If you need to cut them, cut them. Don't hold on to them just because you're holding on to them because you like the pick. And at the other end, for rookies especially, try to hold on to them a little bit longer than you would. Give them time to acclimate to the NFL and don't just dump them after week one and two when they are barely integrated to the NFL, barely integrated their team and just kind of have two dud weeks. Don't be like, ah. This guy's terrible because he hasn't done anything yet. Those guys, especially rookie wide receivers and running backs, they take a long time to hit. Those are season-long ads for a reason. You kind of put those guys on the back end of your roster, but you don't touch them. And then there's other players on the back end of your roster who are, you know, kind of safety blankets, but you want to get rid of them if you have something on free agency or waivers that you like a little bit more. So I got two. I'm going to fly through them really quick. My first one is if you use free agent budget, fab, save five or ten dollars for your playoffs so if you make playoffs you have a little bit of wiggle room so if player people use their entire budget you get first dibs on that defense on that that player to fill in for somebody that get hurt just save a little bit of money for playoffs if you make playoffs second one is you want to treat waiver wire or free agency as like a week to week thing now you might find a guy that might be valuable for just a few weeks but that's very rare. You might be able to find somebody in week like two that can carry you and have value from weeks two until week 15. That's why you got to be so active from weeks like one to seven or something like that, especially in bye weeks. But as you get later and later into the season, there's there's buys and there's guys that get hurt and there's guys that are missing weeks because this is football and it happens all the time. You're really going to be looking for just a guy that can get you a win that week. And if you can buy a win that week, it's great. I remember last year, I think it was Devonta Foreman. I bought him for like, I don't know, 15 bucks. Started him that week because I knew he was going to be valuable because Christian McCaffrey just got traded. I went, okay, I'm going to spend up a little bit to get this guy. I know he's probably not going to have value after this week much because Chuba Hubbard's there. They're, they're not a great team and all that, but the matchup's perfect. The opportunity's there. Let's spend a little bit, and if I only use him this one week, perfect. I just bought myself a win. So if you're using Fab, think of your budget as how can I steal a win somewhere? How can I buy a player on free agency that can get me that win this week? And that's one of the reasons why I ended up winning the championship is because I had a guy like Devontae Foreman who got me that win that put me in the position that I was in the playoffs to advance to the finals. So you're more looking towards... As the season progresses, and like I said, as the injuries pile up and as the bye weeks come up, if you can get a player just for one week, but you got to spend X amount of dollars, do it. Because if you win, worth it. Even if you just cut them the next day, like Phil said, don't get too attached to your players. If if you buy them for one week and you cut them the next week and you won that week, all that money was worth it. I like it. I like it. I feel like, I've, I feel like we've both bought wins before. Bought wins? I don't we know have. Bought wins even yep. worth 
we've we purchased both, we have victories purchased in the past with fake money we have purchased victories for our teams and then when you steal someone else's when you bid you oh, know five better. or five or six bucks and they went for four dollars and that player ends up going off or that defense ends up putting up a random 30 points and you hold on to that defense for the rest of the season because they're great it feels great. It feels great getting uh, some waiver wire, waiver wire and free agency picks and fab spending on people is like, I don't know, it, it's it's very exciting when you grab players. I'm always trying to upgrade my team and get different players, and sometimes it's not the best idea. I'm trying to like ship off half my team just so I can get new players, even though we haven't even started yet. But it's always exciting finding a waiver wire player that ends up, like PK said, ends up either getting you one win or helping you the rest of the season, knowing that everybody could have picked up that player and they didn't and you ended up getting that player it makes you it makes you feel good getting that player that's another bonus of having some extra money in playoffs is like phil just said when you're blocking other opponents when you know you have this amount of money more than them you can spend up and plus one dollar more than they can spend and then you steal that player from them in your matchup and that can be the determining factor whether you advance in the playoffs or even get into the playoffs so use your money wisely and spend where you want it's it's there you don't get to keep it (laughs) towards the next year you don't get to stack it at least in many many leagues so phil We will move on to our final segment. I got two questions in this one, and we'll start off with the first one, and that kind of ties into the main segment of the show is, but do you think you, Phil, yourself, right behind the mic right there, right there, I'm pointing at you right now. I can't see Do you think the Bandits have done enough to try their hand at defending that title this coming up year? Are you asking me? I'm asking you. If the defending champions... Who have brought back their entire roster, have done enough to, except for Ethan O'Connor, to defend it once again. Is that that the question? That is the exact question that I framed it perfectly. I am a beyond intelligent person. But yes, that's that's how I'm. Uh, yes, I reframed it a little bit to explain that they are bringing back their entire roster that they just won a championship with. Do I think they can do it again with that same roster? Yes, because you just did it, and this team's incredible, and I don't see any reason why they can't pull it off again. I know other teams have made some some moves and some interesting moves, and. The Bandits have pretty much, you know, held their own and retaining all of their players and their roster that just did it and their roster that has, with some tweaks here and there for sure, over the last three seasons, been to the championship finals three straight years. So do I think that team can go to a fourth finals, you know, appearance in four years and win it? I do. And I think this team's going to be scary again and if this team can stay healthy i mean we mentioned it i think last episode or the episode before i think it was last episode that we don't even know the players that they have signed and are coming back they don't really have enough room for the amount of talent they currently have on their roster to play every single night i mean brandon robinson's the big one that comes to mind with mccully having such a good season stepping in for him when he got injured now you have both of them back hopefully both of them healthy and immediately what do you do with who's going to play night in, night out. Obviously, injuries happen, so that depth is extremely important, like we saw last year. So it's really good to have that amount of talent on your roster, but at the same time, the bands are going to struggle in a very, very good way to figure out what their starting roster is going to look like every single night. And I know sometimes we head into games where we're sitting in our seats and we're not 100% sure what that roster looks like that night, and you're kind of waiting to hear all the people come out of the tunnel for a home game and see 
who exactly is active that game. And I think this year is going to be no different. I think this this team that just won and did so incredible in playoffs once they were healthy, I think they can do it again. And if Brandon Robinson can be a big part of it, I'll be very excited because from what we saw from him last year, not even getting a chance to really play with the entire offense when he finally started hitting a stride, I really don't know if we've even seen the ceiling for what this current Bandits team can be. And that includes some transition and defensive players that are young and, you know, have another year under their belts to get even better. So I think this team can arguably look even better than they did last year just by staying healthy and bringing everyone back like they did. I would also agree. I think the main point was bringing back um, uh, Mad Vince. And once you got him back, your championship window was wide open again. So I don't see there's I don't I don't feel that there's any reason that they can't have their hand in the cookie jar of defending that title and going back to back. I mean, you saw how many missed games they had last year from their forward group and the defense was just playing out of their mind. Matt Vince in the playoffs was just out of his mind. Four goals in the game three was just unbelievable. And then Johnny T, I think the Chiefs gave up, what, five goals in their championship in the game in the final game to clinch it. It's just what he does to his goalies, I don't know if there's like added bonuses or something like that, or he just like threatens them or something in the locker well, room. He, but just, they just, he they, practices with them. He just shoots on them because he's must one be. of the best to ever do it, and he teaches them how to be gold. Sure, we'll go with that. It's just uh, what he's been able to do to the the, the goaltenders in the final games of the, the, the finals is just unbelievable. But yeah, I, I don't see there's any reason that they can't defend this title as long as they stay healthy and as long as Mad Vince is still Mad Vince, and there's been no indication that he isn't, so... Yeah, I think we both agree that they will be at the top of the leaderboard in and probably in the betting favorites of, you know, defending the title this year and trying to go back to back for something that hasn't happened in a very long time. So, Phil, the main question in this show now and in this segment is who do you think had the best offseason for the East so far based on the moves they made? And there's been players that moved out. There's players that came back. There's new players. There's new faces. We'll go over it by team by team. And I think the best way to do this is we'll give them a grade from A to F, and then at the end, we'll just figure out who had the best grade. And I know you and I forget things all the time. That's why I got my nifty whiteboard over here, and I'm just going to keep track, and by the end of it, we should have the best grade. So we'll start with Albany here. Not a ton of moves made, which is not surprising based on they're still rebuilding. We'll go with you know their, their draft picks. Alex Simmons was fourth overall last year. He signed a two-year deal. Willie Johansson, he was the seventh overall pick last year. And Ty Kurtz, he was the 17th overall pick last year. So those three guys signed two-year deals coming in. They did lose Adrian Sorichetti. Sorichetti? Sorichetti or Sorichetti? One of the two. Yeah. He he was a fireman, so (laughs) he's off all this year. Or last year, he signed with Vegas and then uh, John LaFontaine, he signed with New York. So those are your two big losses for for Albany. I guess, what is your grade and what is your thoughts on what the Albany Firewolves have done this offseason? I would say a, a C or a D somewhere in there, maybe a D plus. Simply, they don't seem like they're in any interest to push so far this year. I mean, I don't blame them with the powerhouses that are currently in the East. And we just mentioned, you know, the Bandit Championship window is still wide open. Do I think Albany could have done enough in free agency or through trades to really push them. I know they've been giving the Bandits a little bit of trouble in the season, but realistically, push comes to shove in playoffs. Do I think they would even make playoffs? Probably not. So 
I don't blame them for what they did. I mean, signing those players is huge. Obviously, that's some very high draft capital, 4th, 7th, and 17th. So they're still just in such a low start of their rebuild. I mean, they're still using draft picks. They're still selling off their team. So, I mean, I think on one hand, I'm frustrated for the fan base that they don't seem interested in pushing at all right now. They're just kind of sitting on their young talent, and maybe in a couple of years they'll make a push. But at the same time, looking at the East, I don't blame them for not wanting to make too big of a push right now. So I want to say a D or a C. I think they did what they could do in a way, but I don't like what they did. That makes sense. Yeah, I marked you down for a, a D plus for them. That's I'm fair. giving them a C. Um, I'm just giving them a C based on they didn't go away from what their plan is. And a lot of times teams will just play like that middle ground where you're not bad enough to get a high pick, but you're not good enough to make the playoffs. The and they tore it all decade. down last year. And my thought is, hey, this free agency, there's a lot of big names in there. They could have went out and signed some of those big names. They didn't. They even let John LaFontaine go. And I don't know if they made any contract negotiations with him or anything like that, but he went to New York. He's not back. So he's another more veteran type guy who was up for a teammate of the year as well. But you're going to get Joe Nardella back, hopefully. You're going to get Jackson Nishimura back. You're going to get Kieran Ar- McArdle back. All those guys were injured last year. You're going to get those guys back. Then you add three more first-round picks last year to a guy like Marshall Paulus, who was there in a fir- former first-round pick. You got Colton Walk- uh, Watkinson, who was a first-round pick. Ethan Walker was a first-round pick. This team is just loaded with first-round picks up and down the lineup. Uh, it's... I, I will commend them on sticking to what their plan was and not you know, steering away from yeah what their plan was. So I'll give them a C. I, I don't think they did anything flashy. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I think they're probably going to be towards the bottom of the, the standings once again. But I think that's kind of their plan. So I'm not really worried about them whatsoever. For Georgia, we'll move on to them. They retain Brian Cole. They retain Lyle Thompson, and they retain Shane Jackson all on three-year deals. They also brought back Jeremy Thompson on a one-year deal, but they did send out and they lost Robert Hudson. So, Phil, Georgia seems like they're just going to try to run it back, continue the hot finish to the season that they had last year. What is your grade for them, and what's your thoughts on their offseason? I'm going to go with a B- minus because I don't really mind what they did. I mean, for the most part, we just talked about the Bandits not doing much of anything. All they did was, in theory, lose a player and then brought everybody back. That's kind of what George is doing. Obviously, the Bandits just won a championship, so their ability to run it back is a little bit different. But like you just mentioned, Georgia had the ability at the very end of the season where they got really hot. They looked like a really, really good team, and you and I were both a little bit scared of playing them in playoffs if they had made it. They just missed it. So I I don't really mind what they did. I think they kind of just gained the confidence in their own team at the end of the year there to run it back and see that they were able to make enough of a push toward the end of the season in their young team combining with their veterans and I think bring some of those players back. I mean, you and I mentioned that Shane Jackson might be a player on his way out to just anybody else in free agency. So to retain a player like that, obviously Lyle Thompson is huge, but he was likely going back there no matter what. And Jeremy Thompson is big for them as well. But again, likely going back. So Shane Jackson, I think retaining him, even though it's just a retain, is still a big move for them, similar to the Bandits keeping Matt Vince on. And 
don't know. I, I think they did okay. I wish they would have done for them something to add, you know, to really get them over that last little hump and get that push to make playoffs. But with the way they finished the season, I think they just are growing as a team. I think they're really starting to put it all together. So I don't really mind them just kind of holding on to what they have. And I think being able to bring Shane Jackson back was big. Yeah, I gave him a B plus. Uh, Brian Cole, Lyle Thompson, Shane Jackson, three more years. I know Lyle was not going anywhere. They they franchised him. Shane Jackson, they were able to convince to come back as well. So I think they're going to try to continue the hot stretch that they finished last year. Anytime you're locking in Lyle Thompson, one of the best players in the world for three years, Shane Jackson, a former MVP in this league, Brett Dobson, another year in the system. Uh, Ryan Lanchberry, he's going to be another one, uh, a former first round pick from 2021. He's going to get another year in the system as well. So I think they're going to be pushing for a playoff spot once again, probably with Philly, Rochester, Halifax. So they're probably going to be looking for that wild card or four spot in the, in the playoffs. I like what they did. They didn't really do much in bringing guys in, but they were able to retain the the possible free agents that they had. So I'll give them that. Uh, they were able to convince guys to come back to Georgia, which isn't the most popular city to play in. I think one they were probably one. I think if I remember correctly, with the players voted, they were one of the worst cities to play in lacrosse. And, and you know, there's not much down in Georgia. And it's a lot of travel because they're they're one of the further south teams besides Panther City. So. Uh, yeah, B-plus seems like a, a good grade. So we'll move forward to Halifax here. This is another team that didn't do much in free agency. They just retained. And Ryan Banesh is back on a one-year deal. Run-year deal. Eric Fennell, two-year deal. Warren Hill, two-year deal. Tyson Bell, two-year deal. Cody Jamison, two-year deal. Clark Patterson, three-year deal. Ryan Tarafanko, four-year deal. So, Phil, for a team that was, you know, up and down more last year, I think – in 2021 2022 they came out that hot start and then they you know died in the towards the end of the year and then they lost in that Chandler Rogers overtime goal to beat Warren Hill to advance to the finals or semifinals what is your grade for this Halifax team that's kind of trying to run it back and get Benny his first title yeah I think they are similar to what Georgia did but a little bit better their lineup has always been kind of stacked uh, I don't really understand why they can't get through playoffs and why they kind of had that falling out. But I don't know. The, the only thing that I would have liked to see them upgrade because they are so close and they are so, you know, they they do have a championship caliber roster. The only thing I would have wanted to see them do differently was maybe upgrade from Warren Hill. Again, we've talked about it a lot in this podcast. I don't think he's a bad goalie by any means, but you've seen the last few years, the championship series ends up with the top goalies in the entire league with, Nick Rose, Matt Vince, Dylan Ward, and last year Christian Del Bianco. Those four were the four in the East and West Finals, and they are arguably the top four in the entire league. So was anything really available to upgrade from Warren Hill? Not really. So, I mean, that that's really where you're kind of stuck. I mean, we've mentioned it a ton of times when talking about possibly if Matt Vince didn't come back, what were the bandits going to do? There really wasn't much out there to really improve from I mean obviously you're not improving from Matt Vince but in general the free agent market for goalies we expected a lot of the goalies that were out there to go back to their team so there's really not much out there they could do so I understand going back to him and again I don't think he's a bad goalie I just don't think he's one of the elite goalies in the entire NLL and that's kind of what we've seen gets you to the finals so that's really the only thing I would have wanted to see them do a little bit differently but again I just don't think there's all that much out there for them to really 
change or do. So for me, I gave them a B because retaining the amount of talent that they have, pretty impressive, and their roster has been loaded for quite a while. Yeah, I gave them a C just because back-to-back years you came up short and you didn't really address your main issues. And like you said, there wasn't really any goaltenders on the, the market that they can improve on and that would be better than Warren Hill. It's just, for me though, this team has come up short back-to-back years and you're locking in the same team for multiple years. So yes, you can get out of contracts and yes, you can ship guys off. I know this is still the NLL and there's, you know, you can only do so much based on the player's style of living and all that kind of stuff, but they just, they seem to be content just finishing third or fourth (laughs) in the division and being bounced out of the playoffs in the first one. And I know the players aren't content with it, but that's the message that the organization is giving the fan base by going, Hey, we're good enough to make the playoffs. Let's just keep going and hope we get lucky in a one-game series. And then we'll go up against a monster of either Toronto or Buffalo in round two and probably get bounced there. So it's just I understand bringing back all the talent because the team is loaded. I mean, the the names on this list are similar to when I was listing off Johnny T's Six Nation Chiefs. Like, they're they're loaded. It's just something happens towards the end of the year and into the playoffs where they just come up short. And that's my biggest gripe on them is that they're locking in guys that continue to come up short year after year to multi-year deals to keep doing it over and over. I'm fine with that as a Buffalo Bandits guy covering the team and a fan of them. Perfectly fine. Keep doing it. Keep bringing back the guys that come up short. So, yeah, I'll give them a C just because they didn't really change anything and improve on anything that I think will get them to the tier that Toronto and Buffalo are at. So we'll move on to New York here. New York was one of the busier teams this whole offseason. I mean, they're no Philly and, you know, Colorado and Chicago or Calgary over there, but they did in Vancouver, Vancouver. My God, I'm happy we don't cover the West because that would be nonstop. Just Vancouver, Vancouver, Vancouver. So here's what they did. They brought in Matt Anderson in a trade. They signed him to a two year deal. He's 2022, 33 over 33rd overall pick Zach Deacon, eighth overall pick last year and Colton Lindstone. He was the 21st overall pick last year. So three guys drafted last year. They brought in retain Cam Dunkerley for a one-year deal and Damon Edwards, which I thought was a huge get back in free agency's one-year deal. They signed John LaFontaine to a three-year deal, JT Giles Harris, two-year deal and Mitch Wild, a three-year deal. They also traded for Kyle Matisse in that big, massive Philly deal. They did lose Dan Lomas, who went to Rochester. Tyler Digby just signed to Panther City and Scott uh, Dominey went to Philly in that massive trade. So, Phil, massive moves by New York. What is your grade for them? Can I give them an A simply because we don't have to see Digby too much this year? Is that that is fair? Is that all right? <laughs> I have just uh, he is he is something else to have to play against and watch play. He's he's interesting, but I'm happy he's not someone the bands have to worry about for a little bit. But overall, I mean, clearly they made a lot of moves. One of the more active teams in the entire NLL offseason. Like you mentioned, a few others were pretty active, but this was definitely one of the more active teams out there. I think it's interesting what they're trying to do, and I I do agree with that. I mean, they're trying to mix a lot of their veteran talent with a lot of their young talent there. I would say, what, one step ahead of Albany as far as rebuilds go and just kind of being the expansion team coming into the league. I think they were known to have a very young team last year. They're obviously going to do it again this year. But like you mentioned, Damon Edwards coming back, traded for Kyle Matisse, who was what, in the top five for most complete players in the entire NLL, voted on by the players. So 
Clearly, he means something to uh, this team, to the entire NLL. He's a great player. He's a great leader. So I think he's someone who can really help this team kind of gel together, especially with these younger players. So I think what they did was really good. I mean, I think it depends on how you look at it. Like, do I think this team is ready to really fight for the top of the AFC or wow, AFC East. Oh my gosh, the bills are, I'm ready for football. That was a PK move right there. It was (laughs) the East in general. Do I think they are really ready to fight with Toronto and Buffalo and Halifax? Not really, but I think they took a step forward to getting up there. I think they might be able to fight for one of the last remaining playoff spots this year. And I think they made the right moves to just continue their rebuild while at the same time, really taking a step forward this year. I mean, I think you were, I think you mentioned it earlier in the offseason that you were a little bit early on your uh, your New York pick for playoffs and just them kind of taking off. I think this year they'll be a little bit closer to what you were expecting them to be last year. And I do like what they did in the offseason. I will give them an A-, minus, uh, mainly because they stole Matisse from the Bandits, even though there was no word whatsoever that Matisse was coming here, but I, I wanted him pretty bad. Yeah, I also gave him an A- just because they know what their weakness was, which was the back end, and they went out and tried to address it with all the moves they made. They didn't really truly address anything in the forward department to try to give Jeff Teat any help up there, but you still got a guy, a young guy in uh, Larson Sundown. You still got a, a more younger guy in Connor Kiernan, too, who's only 26 going on 27 years old. So... I think that this team is going to be vastly improved than last year. I think they can take a step forward. I think they're definitely above Albany. Yes, this is St. PK that picked them to finish fourth in the division last year, but I think that they can definitely compete for a wild card spot next year. Yes, they took a step backwards. Don't hurt me. But I think that if if the moves they made in the transition in the back end come to fruition, which I don't know how they couldn't with the moves they made, they were able to retain... Damon Edwards, they were able to bring in Jonathan LaFontaine and Mitch Wild and Kyle Matisse without really losing a ton of guys. I know Scott Dominey was a good player, but, you know, three for one there. You can look at it this way and then see how JT Giles Harris transitions to the box game. But it's really going to come down to Cam, can Cam Dunkerley or one of the Oralmans stabilize that goaltend position with better defense in front of them? If they can do that, this team could be scary and very fast and very young. So I do like what the moves they made, so I'll give them any money. So we'll move on to Philly here. My God, Philly, what happened? I, I, I love the start of the free agency, and then it all came down, and I don't really know where to go from this one. So they were able to retain, retain Mitch Jones on a two-year deal. Alex Krupinski on a two-year deal and extended Zach Higgins for three years. They traded for Holden Katoni, Mike McConnell, and Scott Dominey, and they did lose Kyle Matisse, Hunter Lemieux, and Trevor Baptiste, two of those in that massive deal. So, Phil, what's your grade for the Philadelphia Wings? Yeah, they're exactly kind of what you just mentioned. They're a little bit all over the place. It's hard to tell what their angle was or what they were really going for. I mean... Losing Baptiste is huge. Losing Matisse and Baptiste, uh, <laughs> both very big losses for this team. I know Dominique's going to be good, and we kind of mentioned it on a few episodes ago that, you know, to me, he's a younger version of Matisse. Obviously, not quite the complete player he is, but I think he's just going to, you know, he's that fill in player for Matisse, that same transition style player, and I think he's going to be good, but at the same time, Matisse is arguably unreplaceable on this team and Baptiste definitely is one of the best players in the league at his position so 
I think I, I liked what they did. I mean, keeping Mitch Jones is great. Zach Higgins has been up and down, but I think he's, you know, one of the ones that you can kind of lock in and try to build around. I'm not upset about that. Katoni is a good ad. McConnell's a good ad. I think Dominic's a good ad, but I don't know. Like they, they are so hot and cold for me. I like what they did for who they traded for and who they retained. And I absolutely hate what they lost in the process of doing it. So I don't know. It's a very 50-50 way I feel about this. I like who they added, hate who they lost. But for the most part, I just, like, given what they lost, it's hard to see what they were going for as far as just going for it all, you know, and trying to make playoffs, trying to win a championship. You lost two massive pieces that would have been part of pushing for playoffs and pushing for a championship. And, yes, you got some younger guys, which is great, but... It almost, it's almost like they took a step back to get younger and rebuild a little bit and then look to the future. So I think as far as a playoff-ready team, I think they took a step back as far as a team possibly for the future. I think they maybe took a step forward, but it's going to take a step back to get there. So to me, I'm, I'm sticking with a, a B-. minus. I like what they added, but just hate what they lost. C's get degrees. That's what Philly gets for me. Uh, Mitch Jones... What? C's get degrees. You've never heard C's that saying? C's get degrees? Yeah, you've never heard that saying. I always got B's and A's. So. You've heard the cicada saying, apparently, but you've never heard the saying C's get degrees. Cicadas isn't a saying. You just physically hear them outside and it's hot out. I, I don't think so. But yeah, I'm, I'm giving them a C. They didn't do anything too bad. They didn't do anything too good. They just kind of stayed stationary for me. I think, yes, they got younger for the future, but... You know, you also stayed older, so I, I don't know. It, it was it was very confusing what they were able to do. I know that Trevor Baptiste kind of asking to move out west kind of hurt them a bit. That might have been it. Maybe that was a surprise. Maybe that's all the moves they made ahead of time, and then Trevor Baptiste kind of came to him and said, hey, kind of want to go west, or maybe that happened first. I don't know how they did this. I don't know why they did this, but yeah, C's. I think a C is a good grade. I think Holden Katoni and Miss Jones are very good for that offense. I think McConnell and Dominey are very good for the defense. Bringing back Kropinski is very good. And then Zach Higgins for three more years, extended for three more years. I like that, but I don't like the players that moved out. So, you know, good with the bad C. I think it's a good grade for them. That's what I aim for in college, and that's what they aim for in the offseason. So we'll move forward with Rochester here. Rochester, uh... Again, it's a lot of names, but a lot, a ton of moves. They were able to retain Rylan Hartley for two years. They brought in Thomas McConvey, uh, first overall pick last year. They brought him in for two years. They signed Ethan O'Connor away from Buffalo for two years. They traded for Don Lomas or Dan Lomas, Connor Farrell, and Hunter Lemieux, and then they did lose Paul Dawson and Holden Katoni, Dawson to Colorado, Katoni to Philly. Phil, great for Rochester. I think. In a similar way, they're kind of stationary to me. They are bringing in, obviously, McConvey being a draft pick. You're not really adding him in free agency or anything, but he's going to be a huge addition to this team. First overall for a reason, so he's going to be a big addition. So I don't. I think he kind of absorbs the blow of losing Katoni and Dawson. Yep. And at the same time, Ethan O'Connor, we liked him quite a bit when he was in Buffalo. Happy for him to be... Hopefully getting some starting time for a different team. Hartley, I know you and I are, I, I don't, I, I have no idea how to feel about Hartley. I love the way he plays, love the anger he has, but he's very hot and cold with his ability, but he's still very young. So I do like him in general as a goaltender in the NLL. So I think retaining him for two years is great for that team. And then, like you said, traded for Lomas, Farrell, and Lemieux, all kind of younger guys. And one hasn't played in the NLL ever yet, so 
to me, they're they're kind of similar to last year, and I think it all comes down to, I don't know, like what they thought their issues were in the back half of the season where they completely collapsed and then got demolished in playoffs by the Bandits. I just don't know what they thought went wrong compared to the beginning of the season where they were a surprise, very strong team in the East, and then the back half of the season they fell off and did terrible. I'm not sure... I didn't really pay that close attention to them because they were doing terrible and falling off and it was great for the Bandits. And so I'm not really sure what they thought they needed to do in the offseason, but I don't know if they addressed enough to really make that push past, you know, the rest of the East. I think right now, to me, if I had to rank the teams, I'd still have them fourth, kind of like I did last year, head into the season based on their offseason moves. So I'm going to go with a, a... B, I guess, a B. I, I wish they would have done more for a team that thought they were kind of playoff ready for a younger team that is trying to push. I just don't know if they did enough. I mean, obviously adding your first overall draft pick in 2022, very impressive, going to be a huge boost in addition for this team. But outside of that, I don't think they really did a ton to truly help this team get over the the hump of the Bandits or Toronto in the East. I'll give them a C plus because I think they did slightly better than Philly because they didn't really lose any big name players. Like you said, holding right. to Tony for McConvey is, you know, pretty good even out there. I mean, McConvey might even be better than Katoni age wise, at least guaranteed. But I think their game plan is just another year of growth. They grow, they grew last year where I think it was a lot of young guys learning and growing together and they were able to keep everybody around. They didn't really lose a ton of players besides, you know, Paul Dawson and Holden Katoni. Those are the only two losses and then the players they brought in. So they lose Dawson. They bring in a, a championship pedigree guy like Ethan O'Connor to help lead the field there. So I like what they're doing. I like their makeup of their team. It hurts me to say that because they are Rochester, but I think this could be a very dangerous team if they take the lessons they learned last year for the reasons that they ended up losing and falling down the stretch and kind of going from that hot team to more like cold, you know, simmering. Yeah, I would call them. They still made the playoffs and everything, but they had to wait towards the towards the tail end of the season to kind of, you know, clinch that playoff spot and kind of feel safe, but I don't think they did anything to harm themselves. I think they're good to compete with Halifax for that third spot. But like you said, I think I still think they got a, a little bit of ways to go to jump into that tier two, which or tier one, which is that final team here, Toronto, which is still in that tier one for me with Buffalo. They were able to retain Sheldon Burns, uh, Nick Rose, Billy Hostrauser. I'm still going to butcher his name all the time. I was kind of hoping he was going to sign out West so I didn't have to do it anymore. And then Corey Small, all four of those guys to one-year deals. They traded for Mark Matthews in the beginning of the offseason. And then they did lose Adam J. and Zach Manns, both to Saskatchewan for the Mark Matthews deal. So, Phil, what is your grade for the Toronto Rock for their offseason move so far? Yeah, I think for me, it would be a B plus. I think retaining Nick Rose was huge. I mean, they didn't do as good as the Bandits getting him for two years, and uh, we got Vince for two years, so we win there. But for the most part, getting Small back, Hostrauser back, like you said, Burns, Rose, and then adding Mark Matthews, a 98-point veteran to your team, is going to be huge for that offense and that team in general. If they can stay healthy, I know they got a little bit banged up into playoffs toward the end, so... To me, I mean, they're very similar to the Bandits, where they just kind of need to retain. They're very close. I don't, again, we've talked about this 
plenty of times. I don't know what happened to Toronto in the playoffs against the Bandits. I don't know why they just collapsed as badly as they did. I love it, and I enjoy watching those highlights over and over and over of the Bandits just demolishing that team, but I'm still not sure what happened. I don't think either of us would have predicted that it was that lopsided of a series between those two teams. I thought it was going to be similar to the year before where, you know, you're winning by literally half a second or less. And and this year they just got demolished. So I don't know to me, the entire season for Toronto, they were the team to beat. I know the bandits were banged up. So, you know, I think the bandits, despite being in first most of the year were the team to, you know, that, that was kind of, behind Toronto the whole year. I mean, insiders and everyone was kind of talking about Toronto being the powerhouse of the East. And I think they just needed to return exactly what they did last year. But adding Mark Matthews kind of pushes them over the edge to just being that one step better. You know, they think they're in the championship window, which I think they are. And they added a big piece to their offense. And yes, they lost Adam Jay and Zach Manns. Manns is going to be a little bit of a, a loss there. But Matthews, I think makes up for it, and I think he's going to be a great orchestrator for that offense. So I think they, you know, retaining their entire team, which was already a very top-tier team, like you said, tier one, and then adding a very impressive Mark Matthews to that team, I think they did exactly what they needed to in the offseason to challenge for the East and for the championship again. Yeah, I can't sum it up any better. You pretty much said everything I was going to, bringing in Mark Matthews to compete up top with you know guys like Tom Schreiber and bringing back Corey Small and you still got uh, Dan Craig up there and Shalen Rogers when he's up there and then bringing back Nick Rose in the one-year deal it's very very it's very very scary uh our predictions are a little bit down the road but uh it's it's a scary team right now they still got Stephen Keogh out there as a free agent as well as maybe they bring him back as well uh, it's, I'm, I'm a little nervous, Phil. Um, I think they did very good. So I'll give them a B plus as well. They didn't do anything over the top besides bring in Mark Matthews, which is a massive get. I'm not trying to understate that whatsoever, but pretty much going to run it back. And hopefully they fare, hopefully they think they fare better in the playoffs than they did last year. So in total, Phil, um, it sounds like you're, a uh, a New York Riptide fan just like me because I'm going through the list here. We'll run through it really quick. Albany, I gave him a C, you gave him a D plus. Georgia, B plus for me, you gave him a B minus. Halifax, C for me, a B for you. We both got New York as an A minus. Philly, I gave him a C, you gave him a B minus. Rochester, I gave him a C plus, you gave Rochester a B. And Toronto, both B pluses. So in total, we both think New York had the best offseason. Yeah, I think they... I mean, very similar in a weird way to Albany. Like you said, the positives for Albany, yes, we gave them arguably the worst grades and just not good grades, but they know what they are, and I think New York understands exactly what they are as well. They're still a young team, but they're trying to make moves to make that push to really start building to be a contender, to push for that wild card. I think they are just a step ahead of Albany, and I think the big thing with them is they understand that they're a step ahead of a team like Albany and that they can possibly make a push with the team that they have if they made the offseason moves that they did. So I think for them to not sit on the young team, similar to Albany, they could have just kind of accepted their, you know, their eighth, 21st and 33rd overall players that they're bringing in, bring in that young talent and just kind of sit on the team and run it back. And whatever happens, happens. But instead they are bringing those guys in, retain some big players like Damon Edwards. We'll see if their goalies can take that next step. And at the same time, you're adding a huge veteran presence like Matisse. So it shows that they are trying to, 
step up and push for that wild card spot and possibly sneak into playoffs and make some noise. So I think I, I, I don't know if they're going to be, you know, I, I'm not saying that they're going to be a top of the East team based on our grades, but I think they did have a very solid offseason for their franchise. Agreed. I, they definitely took a step in the right direction for their franchise. So I know we went a little bit longer on this episode, but tons of content involved in this between the Bills wrapping up their preseason, some fantasy advice, and the Beasts of the East and who did the best there. So Phil, is there anything else you would like to add to this episode before we shut it down and you get to take over uh, trying to get YouTube tied together this week because Pat, is uh, he's he's in the future right now. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to that. I am uh, ready to get some sleep, and I cannot. So can't wait to do some behind-the-scenes producing of our show. Can't wait. Welcome to Pat's role. He will, uh, <laughs> it's a thankless job, and we don't thank him, so it's definitely a thankless job. So on our next episode, we'll get you ready for Monday Night Football. Yes, that is true, because that is our final show before the Buffalo Bills kick off the regular season versus the New York Jets on Monday Night Football. We will be back with our Fantasy Blitz for our rankings. We will uh, give you a player that we think is going to be ranked higher or finish higher than they're currently ranked for Week 1. We'll talk more Buffalo Bandits and get you ready for the draft that's coming up very shortly. So thank you all for listening to another episode of the Buffalo Sports Collective. Follow along with us, if you must, on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Buffalo Sports Collective, and on Twitter at Buffalo Sports Co. Visit our website at buffalosportscollective.com. Subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts, and make sure you leave us a review on Apple and Spotify. Until next time, bye bye